You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our text for this morning, which is still in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. If you glance down at your Bible at this passage, you may notice from the headings that we're actually coming into the very end of the book of Philippians. And of course, we've been preaching, as is our habit uh, most of the time, verse by verse through this letter, which is often referred to as the epistle of joy, because that is what the letter to the Philippians uh, is all about. It is about how can we have an increasing joy in the Christian life. And we have been in recent weeks considering a lot of really challenging topics, important, central topics to the Christian life as we have worked our way through Philippians. We have, of course, been been hitting on this incredible theme of happiness in the Christian life, of rejoicing in all of the times that Paul, and really all of the times in the Bible, that we are encouraged or commanded to be happy. In fact, we've noticed a number of times it's the most frequent command in the Bible to rejoice. We also have recently been thinking about how that kind of rejoicing and the power of the gospel helps us to fight against some of those things that nag us, those um, kind of diehard sins in our life like worry and anxiety and others. We've even noticed in the recent weeks of the important role of prayer and setting our mind on things above. We have been flooded with so many rich and important truths, and this morning is really no different because we come to yet another one, and that is the powerful and important and admired and impressed and desired attribute or characteristic of contentment. And so taking my cues from Paul's words, I've actually titled the sermon, The Secret of Contentment. Even that phrase may ring a bell for you, something that that is sort of naturally on your mind. You've heard it before, and we know how important contentment is. And so we have such a great opportunity here as we're moving toward the end of the book of Philippians. And then, of course, after that, we're going to transition into uh, the book of Galatians as we consider the important dynamic and distinction between the law of God and the gospel. And of course, that has to do with everything we're considering this morning. But our focus this morning is to see if God's, with God's help, we might be able to learn even just a little bit more about this thing that Paul calls the secret of contentment. And we're going to do that by noticing three key truths from these verses about contentment. Here's the first. It is that contentment is learned. Let's capture the context because in verse 10, Paul starts to do a kind of closing move on the letter as he's talking to the Christians in Philippi, and he he says this to them. He's keeping that same theme that we've considered in this sermon series called Connoisseurs of Happiness by even beginning verse 10 with that word again. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, 
concerned about me but lacked opportunity to show it. But now at this point uh, in their relationship, uh, they had been helping yet again. And in fact, as we move on to the later verses next week, we'll see some more of how they were helping Paul and supporting him. But he's rejoicing here at the beginning of our text because they had renewed their concern for him and they were partnering together in the gospel. And Paul again highlights what this did in his life and heart. And that was that it made him rejoice. But here at the end, as he's beginning to close the letter to the Philippians, he he finds this need, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to encourage them in the work of contentment. In fact, I think this is something that probably all of us feel a weakness in. It's something that touches upon everything that happens in our lives because we are fallen people living in a fallen world. And we struggle to develop and cultivate and maintain a proper kind of contentment. Well, we hope this morning the Lord will help us as we notice first that contentment is learned. If it's in here, what we're seeing about contentment with the recent theme of the the heart and the mind work that is at the center of the Christian life, that the Christian life cannot simply be lived by coasting along. It can't be lived either mindlessly or heartlessly as though it's just a collection of routines, but rather the Christian life requires the engagement of our minds. It it requires the engagement of our hearts, of everything that we are. And here we see again Paul tapping in as he's talking about contentment. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. So here we come to this recognizable passage about contentment, where we hear about him here talking about the secret of contentment or how he's content in, in all circumstance. Of course, he's talking about this because he's just said to them that he was encouraged and rejoicing because they had renewed their concern for him. And now he wants them to know, why is he saying that? Or or rather, why is he not saying that? He's not saying that he is uh, rejoicing over their concern because he, he felt a particular need from them as though he was not content with his circumstances, that he was not already consistently pursuing the happiness we've been considering in the book of Philippians. But instead, he notes that he had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself. And there's that key truth that we hear even from Paul in these clear words, is that contentment, the kind of contentment that you and I desire, it can only be learned. It's something that we have to have a focus on in our lives to grow in over time. It's not one of those things where we just snap our spiritual fingers and all of a sudden we're content. Just like it's not that way when it comes to Christian happiness. We don't just snap our fingers and decide, well, today I'm going to be happy. It doesn't work that way but rather in the pursuit of the Christian life, these rich and deep and rewarding and joyful attributes of God, they become more and more ours. And so our hope is that God will in these moments that we spend today and then moving forward, that he'll continue to grow this in us. Let's let's notice though what he says about contentment. He uses a particular Greek word, which is familiar to us in definition. It is what we tend to think of commitment as, at least in a general way. 
that it is a kind of state of, of life or mind that's not dependent on your circumstances. In fact, specifically, it's a kind of happiness that does not simply come from having all the right circumstances. It's a kind of happiness that can be gained in spite of our circumstances. That's what's so amazing about the life of the Apostle Paul to me, because the Apostle Paul did not live an easy life. He did not live a a cushy life. He didn't live a leisurely life. His life was constantly invested in people, which is messy, difficult ministry and work. His life was invested in in bringing good news to a bad news world, a fallen world, a world that's at enmity with God and therefore at enmity with the people who represent him. And in the midst of all of this, we have been noticing that a central attribute of the Apostle Paul is his happiness. It's like he thrived on the circumstances of opposition and challenge. It is as if they, they drove his happiness higher and brighter. And what we'd like to know is, how did that happen? Because I would like for that to be more true of my life. And I know that you would like that to be more true of your life. Well, let's consider contentment this morning a couple of different ways. One way that we can experience or think about contentment is in what I would call a monochromatic way. That's kind of a fancy word that means black and white. It doesn't have a lot of color. It doesn't have a lot of pop. It doesn't have a lot of excitement. It's monochromatic contentment. But of course, the opposite of that or or the advancement of that would be a polychromatic contentment. You might think of this as the difference between having a black and white television and having a, a color television. Now, many of us probably don't remember, I don't, we didn't have a black and white television at home, but, but, but other generations did, and, and it was a, an amazing advancement to have a television that brought this signal into your home, and you could see the news and commercials and television shows, but it was in black and white. It was just the, the basic image. It was grainy. It might be for those of us who are younger and maybe more acclimated to video games. It was the Atari of, of your life. Of course, if you play video games now, if you play a, an Xbox or a PlayStation 5 or something else, and you were to compare that back to the Atari, Asteroids, or Air Raid, which is my favorite game, you would see an incredible difference. In fact, that, that monochromatic version of the game or of the television would be so trumped by the polychromatic version that you'd have no interest in doing it anymore. Well, you see, there are two kinds of contentment, two experiences of contentment. And one question that we have to ask and answer is which kind of contentment is Paul Paul talking about? You might think of it this way. Monochromatic contentment is Eeyore contentment. Do you know who Eeyore is? From Winnie the Pooh? The uh, mule or, he's a mule, right? Donkey, thank you. Donkey, who is monochromatic. He's all in gray, but not only in appearance, but also in his experience of life. His response to life and difficult circumstances is always, oh, bother. 
don't worry about me, it'll be okay. That is monochromatic. And that is akin to monochromatic contentment. So that probably, if I'm honest with you, is my most familiar experience with contentment. In these situations in which I would say I have faced something difficult or suffering or other trouble, trial, tribulation, and been content with it, what I typically mean is I have been monochromatically content. I have been in just-get-by-mode contentment, and in many cases, that's all that I could muster. Well, this is an important question because we're coming to what Paul thinks about contentment, and we need to get a better grip on this for our own lives. What does Paul mean? Does he have in mind when he says that he's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he finds himself and keep the whole context of his life and his writings and in particular the book of Philippians, do you think that the Apostle Paul is the kind of person who has been pursuing and experiencing monochromatic contentment? That when hard things happen and he says he's learned to be content, does he mean I've learned merely to get by. Does he say, oh, bother, all about his circumstances? Or has he found something polychromatic, something bright, something colorful, something full of energy, something that is actually happy? A kind of happy contentment. Well, I believe that that is the kind of contentment that the Apostle Paul was pursuing, though he's like us, probably not always experiencing. And that is the kind of contentment that he wants us to learn. So let's keep in mind the division between those two and the difference as you think about difficult situations in your life and how if you're like me, and I'm a pretty average guy, you will probably be able to say that your contentment has often been that gray monochromatic one. But what we want to do is we want to, because of the gospel, move in the direction of colorful contentment. A contentment that looks more and more and more like genuine happiness and rejoicing even in the midst of really hard things. The beauty of this is that kind of contentment is godly, right? Isn't it godly? Listen to what 1 Timothy 6 says. Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He put those two things together. So this gives us a big encouragement on top of everything else that in fact the pursuit of contentment as we're considering this morning is a pursuit of godliness. It's a pursuit of the very thing that that the Father is doing by conforming us to the image of His Son as He continues to, to feed us truth and promise and grace and mercy and hope and help. This is the direction that He's taking us. Now, when we say that it's godly to be content, what, what do we mean? What we mean that we want to be content in this bright, colorful way. Because God is content in a bright, colorful way. Have you ever thought of that before? Have you ever thought of the fact that God is content? 
that may be kind of a new one for us, just as it was a new one for us when we began thinking in greater clarity and depth recently that, in fact, God is the happiest being in the universe, that in one way he is happy all day long, even when he's angry, even when he's grieving with us, he is happy. Those are new thoughts for us, but they're the thoughts of, of, of the depth of the gospel that we want to get into, that we want to understand because they have so much to say to our everyday life. God's happiness, God's contentment is contained in his ultimate sovereignty to do whatever he wants. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. It teaches that God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. There's never a day when he cannot do exactly what he wants. And that's why he's the happiest being in the universe. That's what makes us happy, being able to do what we want. That's sort of the pursuit that we find ourselves on in one way or another. Well, in a similar way, this is the very heart of God's contentment. Think of it this way. Do you think that there are moments in heaven, among the angels ever worshiping, where God is shrouded in ineffable light, in complete sovereign control of the universe, doing it every moment of every day and night, without sleeping or slumbering, exactly, always, and only what he pleases when he looks down upon his world and he says, well, I guess that's the best I can do. Oh, bother. It'll be okay. Do you think that's what he says? Do you think that's what he feels? Now, this is a problem for me because that's what I say. That's what I feel. But that's not what my God feels. That's not what my God says. And so I need to know, and you need to know, how can I have what God has? How can I make progress in this kind of godliness? Friends, I want you to know that it's only possible when our contentment is drawn from knowing that our God is sovereignly content and working away at whatever he pleases all day long. This is in part the secret to contentment. If you want to have a contentment that is colorful and bright and energetic, this is the path. It's not the path of simply reasoning out what our circumstances are and doing the math or, or following the mechanical orders of, of some system or plan that then is going to, to process and spit out contentment. But it is instead learning what God is like and pursuing a likeness to him by drawing close to him and feeding on his promises. It's something, though, that has to be learned, right? It's not the snap and be content method. It's rather a walking and a walking and a walking. And that's the challenge. That's what we're doing together. But that's the way that we must move forward. 
walking and learning contentment. Let's, let's think of three sort of applications. Normally we have just one. We're tripling them today. In this first truth, three applications. What should we do if we want to learn this kind of contentment? We'll try to keep it, keep it simple because that's the kind of thing that I need. Here they are. Number one, in order to move forward, you and I must monitor our contentment. I think that probably like me, that might be, that, that could be the first time that you, you ever thought of or considered that maybe your contentment is really gray. Maybe your contentment is the getting by kind. And now maybe you're having, like me, a vision for something better, something more, and you want to pursue that. Well, the only way that we can do that is if we're monitoring our contentment. So we can simply do that by being more in tune with our daily lives, asking God for wisdom and help, to think about in the moments of real struggle or temptation or loss or suffering or some other difficulty, what color is my contentment? So we might pause. It could be at the end of the day to look back and kind of take a nice inventory of the day or the week and say, when it comes to what I think of as contentment in my life, what color is that contentment? Is it sort of gray or is it bright and colorful? That's first. Second, we all are going to find that our contentment is more gray than color. Every, every one of us, it is, it is who we are. It is what sin has done to us. Our contentment will never be as colorful as the Lord's because we're, we're not him. We're not perfect like him. But what do we want? We want to add color. We want to have a kind of contentment that's more in line with what we keep seeing from the Apostle Paul, a kind of contentment that isn't just getting by. It isn't the kind of contentment in which we hang our heads. It's actually the kind of contentment where we lift our heads and we are able to, in the midst of circumstances of all kinds, to actually rejoice, to actually be glad in them, even when we are going through pain, hardship, suffering, temptation. And then number three, this would help us, is to identify some of those people in our lives who, who are a little more like the Apostle Paul, someone who would be a good example to you, and emulate them. Think about their life, maybe talk to them about it. Who are the people that are most colorfully content that you know? And ask them, what's the secret of your contentment? Because I, I see in you that even when hard things happen, there is a kind of rejoicing. There is a maintaining of, of joy and gladness because of the Lord, not for shallow reasons, but because he is in control. I need more of that. Please, would you help me understand? What do you think about when something hard happens? What are you doing? I want to know. I want to emulate that. So those are three kind of quick applications. I hope you write those down so that you can see them later as we think about them in even the weeks to come because contentment is going to be a lifelong learning process just as we've seen. But here's the second truth. This is where we're really getting at the heart of, of how this kind of colorful contentment can be ours. And it's noticing what we've already hinted at, and it's this, that in fact, it is God's loving sovereignty that calls for contentment from us, but a very unique kind of contentment. A contentment 
in our circumstances. In fact, in all of our circumstances. That's what Paul says next at the end of verse 12. Let's go back and get the very beginning. He says that he had been rejoicing about them meeting his need and that he had learned the secret of contentment, which we'll see in a moment, in whatever circumstances he found himself, that he knew how to get along or make do with little, and he knew how to make do with a lot. And then he says this, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. He uses those kind of categories to capture kind of all of life because we have experiences in life, whether it is involving food, it could be something else, it could be money, it could be friendship, it could be lots of different health, lots of different things. When you either have an abundance or you have very little. And so this turn of phrase, though, is really key. I hope that you noticed it. Hear it again, because he repeats it actually three times in just this text for this morning. And it's the little phrase that gets at all circumstances. Now, this little phrase has changed my view of contentment. It has challenged my view of contentment. And I think that it does yours as well. Because notice what he says. He puts contentment in the context of all circumstances. Notice that he said it once already in verse 11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. And of course, circumstances are the things that are happening around you, in your life. They're the things that intrude in, press in, pressures, heat, challenges, temptations, trials, troubles, all of those things, all of your circumstances And then he says again at the end of verse 12, in any and all circumstances, and then of course we'll see it again in a moment in verse 13, he says, I am able to do all things. So he's really shaping our view of contentment in a powerful and challenging way by keeping those words intact, keeping that context. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Well, let's take what we have learned from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians so far, just really briefly and kind of put it together, and it would be like this this morning. God's loving sovereignty calls for polychromatic contentment in all circumstances. Whether good or bad, whether easy or hard, whether prosperity or loss. In my preaching, I try not to duplicate illustrations. But as I'm getting older, I keep forgetting what illustrations I've used. I'm pretty sure that I've mentioned Fanny Crosby before, but I'm going to mention her again. She's a famous hymn writer. I think she's credited with like over 5,000 hymns. And one of the amazing things about her hymns, as it is true with lots of hymn writers, is that she is often writing about the contentment and happiness that she had found by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what her hymns mostly are about. In fact, we're going to sing one of those hymns uh, right after the sermon called Blessed Assurance. This was one of the the hymns that you're probably most familiar with. Uh, But I want to point this out because some of her background is helpful to, to get the context of what she's written about. You know, Fanny Crosby was, was blinded at a very early age as a baby due to a, a, a medical error. 
And she spent the rest of her life completely blind and lived this incredible life, uh, an incredible life of joy, uh, of course, because of her disability, an incredible life of contentment. And she poured all of that, uh, of her faith in Christ, into these hymns. And it's just an amazing thing. In fact, uh, one of the stories about Fanny Crosby is that she was often asked if, if she could ask the Lord to do one thing, would it be that he would give you your sight again? And her answer to that was no. She said no. Because what I want is for the day that I die and I go to be with my Savior, that as soon as my eyes are opened, I want the first face to gladden my sight to be the face of my Savior. So, This is the kind of person or Christian that we're talking about, right? When we think about blessed assurance and what she writes there about contentment and happiness, and you have the context of her life, it gives one particular phrase so much helpful clarity for us, and it's this. She says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. Yep, you're mouthing the words. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Now, I want you to think for a moment about which kind of contentment she is expressing in those words and what exactly is the kind of secret to her contentment. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. A foretaste is the thing that you taste before. It is the foreshadowing. It's the, the foretaste, the delight and joy of eternal happiness with God now. Written by someone who spent her entire life at a difficult time in history, completely blinded, going through enormous challenges and troubles and trials. And yet there is something within her that has caused her to have this colorful contentment in this moment because she even says that her current life amidst all of those circumstances and difficulties is a foretaste of glory divine. Either Fanny Crosby has tapped into something that I want or she's lying or she doesn't mean that. Is she just writing the hymn for kicks or for profits? Or I don't think so. I think she means it. She has tapped into something that I want more of. And in fact, I want more of it because this is exactly the kind of contentment that's impressive. It's the kind of thing that we admire, that draws us. We're drawn to people in the midst of this kind of contentment because it's so near and dear to our experience of life. It's something that we want. And we know it's that kind of contentment because I'll tell you this, monochromatic contentment, it's not impressive. That's not what really impresses you. That's not what really draws you in, is it? Not merely the getting by but the seeking and the finding of genuine joy in the midst of these difficult, challenging circumstances. Paul is happy and content because no matter what he has or doesn't have in this life, he, like Fanny Crosby, knows that his ultimate possession is undiminished. He knows that what really matters in his life, far above his circumstances, 
that what really matters is his. And in that moment, he is experiencing a foretaste of glory divine, but only, only, only by drawing close as Fanny Crosby does, drawing close to the Savior in the midst, in the midst of those circumstances. So we can take from this and from these words and even from this example of Fanny Crosby another application. Uh, This one actually is not three parts, but it's sort of two parts. We're loading it up this week. But here are the two parts. Here's what we should do if if we want to have this kind of colorful contentment is we need to learn, because it's learning, we need to learn to look beyond and into the immediate. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. Get real practical in the way that we think and believe because this is what Paul does. This is what Fanny Crosby does. They have colorful, polychromatic, bright, energetic contentment in the midst of persecution, death threats, blindness, etc. in their stories. Because they have learned to first look beyond the immediate. That's what she means when she says, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. She is pulling into her present moment the eternal glory that awaits her by future grace in God's kingdom in the end. She's pulling it into her present moment. That's where many of us go, really go wrong, right? Because in the moment of, of struggle, in the moment of trial, all I can do is see what's right here. And I I struggle to look beyond it. I struggle to to know and and recall what is awaiting and what is awaiting is actually at work in my life today, right? So there's this one, look beyond the immediate. But second, this is the other part, and this is something else we're learning from Fanny Crosby's uh, life and, and even those words, foretaste of glory divine, is look into the immediate. It's not enough to just look beyond it. And say, oh, well, one day, things will be great, so I can get by today. We have to look into the immediate. And what that means is to look into the present moment, the present suffering, the present trial and trouble, and see there what God is doing. Because he is not only in the beyond, out just waiting, chilling out, wait for us to get there. He is at work in every moment, to produce in us what he already has, this beautiful, polychromatic, colorful happiness and contentment because he is lovingly sovereign. Looking beyond and looking in to the immediate moment. And this takes some real discipline, not just learning, right? As you hear this, I hope you're thinking about like, Think about your daily life. Think about something from the past week that was really hard for you to go through. And think back about what would have changed. What would you have done differently if you knew then what you're thinking about now? To look beyond and to look in. So that this week, when that happens, we can take this kind of action with some real discipline. So those are the first two truths. Contentment is learned. And second, we have to keep in mind this truth that it is God's loving sovereignty that calls us to this kind of contentment 
in all circumstances. No circumstance gets a pass. In all circumstances, no matter how bad, no matter how long they last. And that is not a command. That's a promise. That's what he's offering to you. He's offering to you that no matter what happens in this life, persecution, death threats, blindness, whatever's on the list, this kind of contentment can be yours. It can be. And in fact, God is working in us to make it ours and he's doing it all by grace and he's doing it all while smiling because he loves us and he's delighting to work in us what he already has. And that leads us to this last very important and really hard for me to figure out truth. And it's that contentment comes through God's strength. So this is where Paul gives us a hint at how he has found this secret of contentment and what it is. Look at verse 13. He says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's probably one of the most abused little phrases there in the Bible, so let's be careful that we don't abuse it either, right? When he says, I am able to do all things, there are lots of things that you can imagine doing that he's not talking about. You know, feats of strength, that's not what he's talking about. Flapping your arms and flying somewhere, that's not what he's talking about. Me dunking a basketball, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in the context of life, I have learned to navigate and rejoice in the midst of all my circumstances through him who strengthens me. And there's that truth. The contentment comes through God's strength. As a younger Christian, I always ask, and even sometimes now, I ask the question because it's hard for me to get my little mind around it. So what is the secret? I would always read him say that, and I never could really figure out, but what is it? Is it something I'm supposed to be doing? Is it, is it something else? Is it something in the Old Testament, something in the New Testament? What is the secret? You might be asking that question too. Well, actually, it took me a long time to really see that actually the answer is right there. It was there the whole time. The secret to contentment is not something that you do or have. The secret to contentment is what God does and has. And so he says, I'm able to do all things, how? Through him who strengthens me. Now, in like a quick kind of passing glance across those words, it doesn't really seem all that helpful. It's never been helpful for someone to ask me in times when I was really struggling or weak, well, are you living in God's strength? I had no, I had no idea what that means, living in God's strength. Right? You probably don't know what that means either. And so what we have to do is slow down and we have to really think into what Paul is saying and keep the context of all that we've heard from him so far. What do we mean? Well, look at the word strength. This is a word, it's kind of a fancy Greek word, in dynamoi. In dynamoi. It sounds a little bit like the word... Um, Dynamite, it sounds a little bit like our word dynamic, 
And those two words can be helpful. In fact, perhaps dynamic is the most helpful because what he's saying when he uses that word is that he is able to do all things through the dynamic strength of God. That adds a whole nother dimension to what you think of as God's strength. If you think of God's strength just in general, you think, okay, he's somewhere, he's strong, he's big, he can do whatever he wants. But what we actually need is we need to make sure we keep in mind that his strength is not just out there, it's dynamically at work, in dynamoy. His dynamic working strength is what actually makes it possible for him to do all of these things. So it's not something that Paul has in himself, but in fact, instead, it is him resting his life, resting his worldview, how he sees everything in life on God's active, dynamic working of his strength. This is what I think Fanny Crosby was thinking about as well when she even wrote those words of blessed assurance. This is the foretaste of glory divine. It is, in essence, because we talk about this all the time, it is good news. That's what God's strength is for you. It's his good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that he has lived, died, and risen again for you so that you could be forgiven, so that by faith in him and repentance that you could become one of his, you could belong to him and come into his family, and then his Holy Spirit would come live inside of you, and he would forevermore comfort you and care for you and shower you with grace and mercy and orchestrate by his loving sovereignty every circumstance of your life so that nothing ever happens by chance. Nothing ever just shows up and he doesn't know what's going on, but he is absolutely, totally in control and he's dynamically working every moment of every day in order to give you what he already has. That's what Paul means. That's how he's able to do all things. His life is being rested on the dynamic strength of God, the good news. That, that is encapsulated in that word that we often use here. We're trying to make that word paramount, and that is the word gospel. It contains all of that together. All of God's promises are yes in Christ, and they are delivered to me in the gospel. And by faith, which is a gift from him, I receive it. It becomes mine. It changes me. I am united to him forevermore. And everything in my life today is and can be experienced, though I don't always, as a foretaste of glory divine. That's a mouthful. That's a life full. That's what we want. But here's that reminder. The reminder is that in the midst of those circumstances, it's in fact his dynamic strength that is the active ingredient. This is the challenge that I feel all the time. Because when, when hard things happen, there are challenges, all of those kinds of circumstances, I very quickly start to think, well, that's what I need to fix. Uh, something in me must be the active ingredient, and I've got to work this out. 
when I need this reminder that Paul is giving that, in fact, God's strength is the active ingredient. It's like it is in a, in a medication. Uh, a medication has an active ingredient. You look on the bottle, you can see what the active ingredient is. But there are other ingredients. There are other things in there. There are fillers, and there's a coating to help it go down. But the ultimate active ingredient is God's strength. And the more that I can know and remember that, the more that I can pursue this kind of contentment with you for God's glory and for our joy. Paul knows that his circumstances are secondary ingredients, sovereignly brought into his life to make the medicine go down, to fill his life with more and more occasion, more and more opportunity for him to draw close to a Savior who is always near and is always working by his strength. And it is the strength of God's power and grace and mercy and wisdom and all of his other excellencies that are the active ingredient, the dynamic power, which is God himself. Therefore, as we come to a close this morning, here's what I think we should do. I think that the last application would be that we need to expand our understanding of what it means to live in God's strength. We're getting a lot of things expanded today, right? Our view of contentment, well, my view of contentment was like this when we got here, and now it kind of gets expanded like this. My view of even this, God's strength, is, starts out here and it needs to be expanded. Well, that's what I need more and more and more of. I need God's strength to be expanded in my mind, to understand what does that mean? How can I live by God's strength? And these words here that Paul has given to us help us in great ways. Ultimately, what we need, what is God's strength? Let's try to put it in simple terms before we bring this part of our service to a close. That way we have something to really carry with us with confidence. It is the good news. Don't ever tire of hearing that. Don't ever think that uh, that's just the, like, oh, that's the routine thing we always say. That's really what we mean. It is the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. It is what is contained, those spiritual resources of God's word and God's church helping us, even the ordinances of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper as we think about what they mean and how they illustrate our relationship to Christ. Those are the resources that he's given to us. That's the strength that we want. And of course, all of this begins by faith in Christ. If you're here, you're on the live stream, we say this all the time because we, we, we are deadly serious about it. You must come to Christ. We want you to come to Christ. We hope that you hear about this kind of colorful contentment and you are impressed by it. And you're admiring it and it's drawing you to the God who, who, who invented it and who offers it to us in Christ, and for the rest of us, that we would be on this pursuit together. That's why we're here. We want to know more of what God already has, and we want to be with him and to be like him, and we pray that he does that in us today. Let me invite you to stand as you're able so that we can pray and we can prepare our hearts to sing again about, in particular, this blessed assurance in the foretaste of glory divine. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you now at this point in our service, and we, we ask that you would do what only you can, that you would take the, the seeds of truth which have fallen out of this tree of life, your word, and that you would plant them in our hearts. 
I pray that you would water them by your grace, that you would cause them to grow up in us so that we would bear fruit. And the kind of fruit that we are praying for today is the fruit of colorful, bright contentment. That we would be able to, having learned it more and more and more with every day, that we would be able to look to you and to find actual joy even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of this fallen world. We cannot think of and we do not know anything that would glorify you more than for us to learn to be happy in you no matter what comes. And so we pray for that. We pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes beyond the immediate and look into the immediate to see what you have planned and what you're doing. And we pray that you would work that in us now as we sing and that our hearts would be uplifted, even though there's all kinds of things resting there on us. We pray you move them to the side and lift our hearts as we sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.